Hey, I'm Kevin, the student pastor of Shore Church again. Thanks for listening to our message. We strive each week to bring you relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To find out more about us or what's going on at the church, head on over to scog.com or download the app. Hope you enjoy the message. All right, uh, good morning and we are exploring the Living Room series where we're looking at the book of Philippians. Uh, so go ahead and turn to Philippians 4 this morning if you have a physical Bible, if you're using your phone or whatnot, just click on there. Uh, do, do whatever you need to do to get to Philippians 4. This, in my Bible, uh, this chapter, this book is just underlined, underlined, underlined. It was really refreshing uh, for this series. I actually had a Bible uh, that I've never read with the intent to mark up. Um, and sometimes there's, I have a Bible that I like highlight and, and do and circle and do word studies in and all that stuff. But uh, for this series, I went to a fresh Bible. It didn't have any highlighting or marks in it. And just to see what popped out to me, because often when you're exposed to the same scripture over and over again and kind of almost have the whole thing memorized, uh, you get, it gets kind of rote. Um, and so getting this fresh look at it without, you know, the baggage, if you will, of what I've learned from years and years and years ago, um, seeing it was really, really beautiful. So maybe um, if you're in kind of in a stuck uh, time in your life, in, in your Bible reading, maybe just getting a fresh uh, fresh word and getting a fresh Bible, maybe asking for that for Christmas and kind of giving it a new new view, um, a new chance to, to highlight and to write in your Bible. Some of you, that sounds like the worst thing you've ever heard in your whole entire life, and others, that sounds really, really exciting. I get both points of view on that, uh, definitely. So anyway, uh, Philippians today, we're going to talk about the secret of life. What is the secret of life? Because Paul actually talks about the secret of life in Philippians 4, verse 12. And so um, if you were of a certain age and you watched City Slickers, um, this is the one thing. Okay, this is the one thing. If you do not know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Uh, But for everybody my dad's age, they're really, really happy with my reference right now. Okay, Uh, so this is the one thing. This is... This is the secret of life today, and we're going to kind of dive into this. We've been working it all the way through Philippians, um, but we're going to spell it out today. Uh, next week, you're going to see, uh, we're going to go back in time. We're going to go back to Philippians 3 next week. Next week's message is already uh, done, so uh, because I'm taking the week off. <laughs> so uh, next week's message is already done. It's already recorded. So this has been a fun week doing two different messages at the same time, but um, so if I could start talking about something that makes absolutely no sense, I probably just got confused. Uh, but that's what's going on next week. So if you're wondering about the order of the messages or whatever, uh, Philippians 3 will be next week. And that will conclude our living room series. Uh, but today we're going to be in Philippians 4. All right, 4. Um, we're talking about the secret of life and what that means for us and what that looks like. Because we're all kind of looking for um, maybe some solid something solid to stand on. What does this mean? What does this look like? And if we step into the mindset of Paul at this time, we look at what is he thinking? Who is he writing to? Because if you have the context of the whole book of Philippians, you start to understand this this guy who's walking with God as much as he possibly can and what he's trying to impart into this church of Philippians. If you think about that, Paul is on death row. 
He's in house arrest. He doesn't know when he'll be, if he'd be released. He doesn't know when he's going to die. He, he, he's got all this uncertainty in his life, all this stuff going on that uh, is a Petri dish for anxiety and worry, right? And so he starts writing this church in Philippi, this beautiful letter. It's short. It's small, but it's very, it's got a kind of a different tone than all the rest of his writing. And I think that's because of the audience that he's writing to, his relationship with his people, but also the time in his life that he's writing this letter. And in Philippians, we see a church that is, Paul isn't married. He doesn't have kids. In Philippians, we see this church that's basically his baby. There's kids. He, he loves this church. And if you ever talk to a pastor and, and how they, they view um, their church, it's, it's, it's really um, a, a love relationship of loving every single person in that church and, and caring about them in, in such an such a intimate way. And for Paul, he brought them the good news of Christ for the very first time. Like People don't have another choice of, of other church they can go, of, of Jesus church they can go to. Um, they can go back to their, their Greek God worship and they can go to the Roman, Roman God worship or do something else like that, but there's no other choice. This is the start of Jesus worship in Europe. And so these people are his, are his, his babies. He loves them intensely and intimately. And so when we read the book of Philippians, we get a look at what Paul would write, like his kids as he knows he's going to pass away and his mentality in that. And so if we, we scour Philippians and we're looking for an intimate, uh, if, if God's going to impart something intimate into us, the book of Philippians is a great place to be. And that's where we're at and where we've been the last few weeks. And that's why we've kind of called it living room uh, conversations and why we're, we're having these kind of heart-to-heart in-depth uh, talks. This is perfect for an only child to kind of have these kind of conversations because no one's talking back, uh, just like, you know, my whole life. <laughs> so you, you have these really deep conversations, but you got to sound them off your own uh, psyche, which may explain a lot of things. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, so we're talking about the living, no, we're, we're talking about uh, the secret of life this morning. And so we kind of continue the conversation of last week in dealing with stress and anxiety and what is the secret to overcoming that. Well, it kind of wraps itself in these two ideas that Paul is speaking into. Anxiety is about control. Anxiety is all about our control or our lack of control. Worrying about the things that we can't control or all the what-ifs of life. Um, that's kind of anxiety-inducing. That's worry-inducing. That that causes this. What what if that doesn't work? What if this doesn't work? What if it rains? What if it We do all these things, and, and that stress meter, that heartburn meter, just kind of rises up in our, our bodies or our mind or our psyche. Anxiety is all about our control. But contentment, the opposite of anxiety, is all about his control. And the his in this is, of course, God. Anxiety is about our control. Contentment is all about his control. And finding this contentment is really what Paul is trying to conclude Philippians with. He's, he's wrapping it all up in this moment saying, hey, hey, if you want to be content in life, this is how you've got to operate. It's about God's control of your life and our submission to that. Now that 
understanding may be kind of anxiety-inducing. Uh, how do I do that? How do I submit to God? How do I, how, all these questions just pop in our heads. <sighs> Breathe for a second. As we process, as we work through, when do I look, work up myself? When do I get all amped up? When do I have all this stress? Usually is when we're trying to control too many things. When it feels like you're like a, that the plate spinner. You've got, you know, plates going on your feet and your nose and they're like, Christmas is coming and this is what you look like, right? Uh, what that looks like. And you go, wait, 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 wait. If I could just give one of these plates away, I'd be okay. Giving God control is like, you know what, God? Here's all the plates. Which one would you like me to hold right now? And the shift in that, the switch in that mentality is huge. And for some of us who like to control things, that is incredibly, incredibly difficult. And so uh, the secret of life, I'm going to bury the lead here, the secret for contentment that Paul talks about here is giving God control of our life. In Philippians 4.12, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fled or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What is the secret? The secret of being content in any and every situation. And he's saying this is the situ- it's the secret of any situation, whether I'm in prison, whether I don't have food, whether you sent me a care package, whether I think I'm on my way to the headsman's axe, whether wherever I'm at, whether I have a job, whether I don't have a job, whether I, uh, I'm struggling with my kids or I'm, I'm great with my kids, whether my marriage is in shambles or my marriage is better than it's ever been. I, can, I found the secret to contentment through all of it. It's giving control to God. Now, for Paul writing to the first European church, this is very, very interesting. The Church of Philippi is the first European church. It's the first one that doesn't have um, the Middle Eastern background. It's the first one that has no recollection, no understanding of the Torah, of the Old Testament. When you're writing and you're speaking to people who already know the, all your background jokes, right, it's a lot easier. Uh, when, you, when, you, you know, when you go into a room with all your college friends or your high school friends, and you can just be like, oh, number three. Oh, number 17. <laughs> and you just laugh at you know, these memories that you already have, these things, that you, these lifelong relationships you have. That's kind of how Paul, when he writes to a Jewish congregation, a congregation that used to be uh, Jewish and now are Christians, he just kind of hits the greatest hits. He refers back to the Old Testament. He does all these things, and people are like, oh, yeah, 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 I get it. Oh, I see the connection to Jesus, blah, 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 blah. That is all stripped away when Paul's talking to the Philippians church, right? When he's talking to the Philippians church, he can't go, oh, old number five. He's like, hmm, how do I do this? Okay, I've got to rethink through that. And um, so when he's talking about this, he comes at it at a totally different angle. And I think it probably was very interesting for him to have to write uh, this letter without all of the, the background stuff, without the Old Testament in it, because that forms a basis of who he is. He gave his whole life to studying the scripture. He probably has the whole Old Testament memorized. And for him to write a, a letter about God and God's love for them without referencing 
the whole basis of his, his, uh, his understanding of who God is, it must have been very, very interesting for him and a challenge. And maybe that's why he loved these people so much, because they just didn't know they were all blank canvases. He's like, well, you don't even know the amazing uh, story of who Moses is, or who, who Joshua is, who Joseph is, who Abraham is. You don't even know. I don't even have to deal with that stuff. Like, oh, thank goodness, here is Jesus. And so that's, I, I just get excited about that. Um, sorry. Giving control of your life to God is, is a very scary and exciting moment. Because naturally what we do is we think of all the things that we can control and how we're doing in life and how we deal with the different situations that we've got. And if we give to control to God, that means we don't have control of it. What does it actually mean? Like, we talk about it a lot at church. What does it actually mean to give control of your life or control of a situation to God? It's, it's really starting and organizing your whole day and say, God, this is my, this is the problem that I'm having. Can, how do you take that? And then being silent and calm and receiving whatever God's going to give back to you. Because often God's like, that's your problem? Okay. Yeah, you're going to give that back to me? No, I'm not going to give that back to you. You don't want it. Sometimes you receive a, kind of a, a, a leading or a, a, maybe you get this through journaling, like a, an answer from God saying, um, now, now maybe you get an audible voice. I don't get audible voices. Uh, but you get a leading from this is what you should be uh, doing in this moment. Oh, but not until we've actually given up control of a situation, a, a relationship or whatever can we get away from ourselves enough to see maybe what God is actually wanting us to do through this and in that? This is very vital to understanding what giving control of situations looks like. This goes as far as our, you know, our parent relationships, the health of our parents, the health of people in our, uh, in our household, the uh, way in which we look at our jobs, the way in which we uh, deal with money issues. Not that we don't work hard, not that we don't work on our relationships or whatever, but first giving control of that to God. Like, God, the result is in your hands. You love me, and you want the best for me, but I get in the way sometimes. I step in there and try to wrestle control away from you, and things don't go the way out in which I'm hoping or, or longing for or wanting. And maybe if we put our hope and our longing into what God wants for our lives, we'll see a lot more contentment in our life. Paul talks about, in Philippians 4.4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, this is one of those scriptures in the Bible that I have skipped over a lot. Like, I want to get to the meat, the, the next stuff that, that, that Paul's going to talk about. Because there's some really awesome stuff. And so, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, whatever. It's like a preamble. Okay, whatever. Um, it's the, the, the opening line, whatever. Until I started to understand what Paul is talking about, he's actually giving the, the, the goodies away here in rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Especially when we talk about a, a, a Greek church instead of a, a Hebrew church. What he's saying is be glad of grace. Take joy in grace. This is the main thing. Again, I say to you, 
take joy in grace. The, to actively delight in grace. Joy is the Greek word kara, or to delight, to delight in grace, to have this overwhelming sense of just awe and wonder and pleasure of what grace is. What is grace? Grace is the Greek word carry. So if you're named carry, there you go. You're, named, you're actually named grace. Um, but it's the Greek word carry, which actually means favor. The favor of God. So if we're delighting in grace, we're delighting that we have the favor of God on our lives. Do we operate? Do we act like? Do we make decisions like God's favor is upon us? This is coming from a guy written from prison. He's going, I've got the favor of God in my life. Writing to a bunch of people who who don't have the background of their chosen people and uh, descendants of Abraham. He's not writing to those people, right? It's like, you have the favor of God. Now, to put that in context, for a Greek, that would, that would have, for Jewish Christians, they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a son of Abraham, blah, blah, blah. I've got all this, this, this stuff that I know what the favor of God looks like. And they probably would have glossed over it. But writing to a Greek church saying, you've got the favor of God. That's, whoa, revolutionary. And a Jewish person reading like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've got the favor of God. I don't know about those people. I've got those are Sox fans. They don't have the favor of God. I'm a Cubs man. Working on that uh, and working through that is just amazing because he's talking about you've got the favor of God. The whole Greek mindset and the way in which they structure their lives is to earn favor. Greek and Roman. Roman, um, the way in which you do business, the way in which you do uh, life is all about who you know, the relationships that you've built, and how to leverage those relationships. Sound familiar? Right? Uh, and so it's just like corporate world of our, of our life. It's not actually what your degrees say. It's like who you know and how you're going to get those jobs. And so this is how Greek and Roman life is structured. And it's all about earning Favor, earning favor with a patron, someone who's going to give you money, give you job, give you an opportunity. It's all about earning favor with uh, your community so that you, you get these accounts or you do whatever is going on. It's all about you, you go to temple and you, you do whatever you need to do there to earn favor of your God, uh, whether, whatever Greek God that would be that you are worshiping. Does that make sense? It's all predicated on what you have done for them. That's how you earn favor. And so Paul is flipping that and saying, no, 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 because of grace, you've got the favor of God. But I, what I do, no, 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 you've got it. It's yours. The favor of God is on you. And this is a revolutionary way to rethink our whole lives. And as Americans, I think we, we kind of have to, no, 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 I have the favor of God because I, I held my teeth right and I did these things and I didn't do that and I did this and, da, 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 and I, you know, I worked really hard for it. No, that's not why you have the favor of God. You have the favor of God because of his grace and he loves you and he died on the cross for you. Whether you're an American or a Brazilian, it doesn't matter. That's why because you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's why you have the favor of God. But I want to earn it. I know you want to earn it, but you can't. Because if you earn it, then you can take responsibility for it in some way. We can't take responsibility for what God is doing in our lives. 
Because if we earn it, what we've done again, we've wrestled control back away from God. And we try to continually do that, wrestle control of our own salvation away from God. Just like we do with our own marriages, with our work, with our money, with our kids. We try to wrestle, wrestle control away. And being a follower of Christ, falling in love with him, being about uh, his life for us is about rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Take delight in the favor of God on your life. You see how that shifts the whole like paradigm of how we view ourselves, how we think about um, how we orchestrate our day, how we do all kinds of different things. It, it changes who we are as people to, to rest in the favor of God. I have found the secret of life, Paul's talking about. I got the secret to be content in all things. It's to rest in the favor of God. Jewish people would have understood this even better than the the Philippian church because they have this idea that is in the Ten Commandments. It's called the Sabbath. And it's a thing that we struggle with in our own society in this moment and in this time. It is uh, the Sabbath, right? To have a Sabbath, to keep a Sabbath, and to keep it separated. Why is the Sabbath instituted? What is it going on? It is God has redeemed the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt and said, guess what, guys? You're not slaves anymore. You have been set free. In, free. You are totally redeemed. Okay, that is what happens to actual Jewish people coming out of Egypt. It is also what happens in our life when Jesus redeems us from our slavery, our bondage, whatever sin issues we are struggling with, however big, however little, whatever that yuckiness that looked like in your life. When he redeems us, he sets us free. One of the things that he gives back to us and he gave to the Jewish people is this idea of the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath always just is wonderful because to slaves... To come out of slavery, and God says, I love you so much, I'm your God, and you know what I'm going to do? First thing, I'm going to give you a day off. Think about that. These are slaves who had no control over any amount of their time, what they ate, what they drank, what they, where they lived, control over anything. And the first thing God says is, I love you so much, my favor is on you so much, I'm going to give you a day off. Like, This is revolutionary. This is revolutionary until 1920, right? This is 4,000 years early of labor rights that God says, you know what? I love you so much, I'm going to give you a day off. In our own lives, as we think about our own Sabbath, now we go, oh, that was good for them. That was Sunday. We go to church. Actually, it was Saturday, but hey. We think about Sabbath. We think about ceasing work. We think about stopping. I think it's really important for us to understand what that could mean for us. We're not supposed to be working. We're not supposed to be planning. We're not supposed to be doing the to-do lists on the Sabbath. Just like the Jewish people weren't. They weren't supposed to be doing any of those things. They weren't even supposed to be cooking on that day. It's a leftover day. And the Sabbath for us to keep that in our, in our mindset, to understand why, why this is a control issue, is that some of us think about, I just talk about the Sabbath. I talk about not working. I talk about chilling and relaxing and 
letting God have control of our lives in that moment, that gives us a lot more anxiety and stress. But how's it all going to get done? How's this? How's that? How's that? I want you to see how that means that you're trying to wrestle control of your time and your to-do list away from God. Because the Sabbath means that we trust God enough that the work will get done. That doesn't mean in the other six days we don't work hard. We don't get all orchestrated. But it means we trust God enough to say, I can get, I, this day is just about recuperating. This is a rhythm of my life that I am relaxed and resting in the favor of the Lord. This is incredibly important to how we, we understand who's got control of our lives. And so if the Sabbath, the idea of the Sabbath, really stresses you out, to think about what that really means to, to take a real day off, now they're like, oh, I'm just going to do a little work. I'm just going to do a little of this. I'm just going to do a little of that. No, to really shut all that down, if that stresses you out, that's a warning sign that you've wrestled control away from God and are trying to control everything for yourself. Know that. Now, you can get frustrated or like, oh, I don't know. If you're coming up with six different caveats about that right now, let that be a... That's between you and God. You need to really work that out. But when he said, keep the Sabbath holy, he really actually meant keep the Sabbath holy. Shut it down. Because it's a control issue. Who's really got control of your life? The gift of the Sabbath is God saying, listen, in my grace, in my favor on your life, I want you to take a day. That's beautiful and wonderful. And we get to participate in that. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. This will be an interesting verse to live out on Thanksgiving week. There's always an extra to-do list this week. Am I going to get this? Am I got the corn casserole, and I got the sweet potato pie, and I got the turkey to do, and I got everything's got to get in the oven, and do this and all these things, so then we can yell at each other and, and eat the food, and then uh, Cousin Johnny won't want to touch any of it because he's picky. Um, you, you just got all those things going on, and it's like, wait, 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 wait. I've learned the secret of this, to be content in what I have and where I am as I give control to God. Take joy in the God who redeems us from slavery. You may not look at your life like slavery, but I think it helps us put it in context. We have become slave to things. We've become slave to uh, work. We've become slave to money. We've become slave to perfection. We've become slave to all kinds of different things. And God wants to redeem us and set us free from that. And that rejoicing in that kind of grace Rejoicing in that kind of favor sets the parameters for our life. To take joy, delight in the favor of God. All right, what are our roadblocks to contentment? How do we find this? How do we identify it? First is this, uh, personal goals. What are your personal goals? What are your personal goals? When personal goals conflict with God goals, they lead to anxiety. So when personal goals conflict with God goals, they lead to anxiety. Anxiety. Whatever your personal goals are, 
And if they go counter to what you think God would want for your life, there is a the menamu, the, the going to pieces, the anxiety, which literally means to fall to pieces. Um, when we our goals don't work together, we fall to pieces. Keep that uh, that Jenga set of our life in order. Uh, I was talking in our life group this week. I've loved doing the life group. I wish everybody could see uh, our personal life group because um, whoever's in my life group generally gets us like all the things that I missed in the message. I think in a part two uh, that's, that's a little more developed. Uh, I Monday morning quarterback the rest of my message. Like, oh, I wish I would have said that. No, I wish I would have said that. Uh, but is the Jenga set. Instead of thinking of God as one of the pieces of a Jenga in our lives, he is the box, the sleeve in which puts everything in proper alignment. And so if you don't have the box, you know how hard it is to get everything set when you don't use the box. And maybe some of you are like, I'm supposed to use the box? What? Like if you just put them all in there and you use the box and you turn it upside down, you real gently up, they all come out in perfect alignment. I just changed your life right there, all right? How, many, how old were you? How many years were you when you found that out? Uh, but if you do that, like, that's what God does in our life. And so if we, if we pull out the wrong things, if we have our own personal goals that are, that are, are kind of making the stability of that instead of God using the alignment, we've got all kinds of issues in our life. We need to be very, very, very conscious of that. Second thing that's a roadblock to contentment is materialism. When stuff forms the basis of our value of ourselves or how we um, understand, if, if when I've attained this car, when I've attained this house, when I've attained buying this, that, or the other, when I have that much stuff in the bank, if that is the, the basis for what our goals are, to, I'll be satisfied when I have that. I will be content when I'll have that. I will feel safe when I have that. We're putting our basis in materialism instead of what God has for us. The control of our life is our bank account, not God. And so that's, that's just a check to see if, where you're at on those moments. Third thing is other people's plans. When, others people's, when other people's opinions outweigh the voice of God, anxiety will rule. When other people's opinions outweigh the voice of God, anxiety will rule. That may be really hard for you, especially at Thanksgiving, because Aunt so-and-so is going to be there, and she always criticizes everything that I do. She'll criticize the way in which my, my kids dress. She'll criticize my, uh, my pudding. Oh, whatever. Um, but we all have relatives that we got to kind of like, oh, I'll get through. Um, but other people's plans, when other people's opinions outweigh the voice of God, anxiety will rule. That may be your own parents' voices. That may be a teacher. That may be people that you really respect. But when other people's plans outweigh the voice of God, we have to be in tune with God enough to listen to his voice. What does he actually want for our lives? And if this goes counter to what even other voices that are generally good in our lives are, we have to go with God's plan for our life, not our own. Or we'll be pulled in pieces the secret rejoice again i say rejoice delight in the favor of god because you have it when we have relationship with jesus when he has bought us redeemed us paid for all our junk and all of our past and all of our sin and all the nastiness of life and has bought us and said listen i want you to be in heaven for eternity with me when he sets that up we have the favor of God in our lives. 
That's where we find our contentment, that God loves us and cares for us, has his own plan for us, apart from anything that the world will throw at us. That he cares for your soul and my soul. He cares for us in this moment and for all of eternity. And what we do when we wake up in the morning and how we conduct our lives is continually rejoicing in that, remembering the favor of Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for today. And Lord, I just pray that this week would be a week of rejoicing. This week would be a week of remembering who you are, remembering what you've done for us, that our thankfulness will come out of a place of abundance. Of even though we are, this stands to be one of the weirdest Thanksgivings in recent memory, that we still will be thankful for a God who loves us, that we will rejoice, that we will take delight in the grace of God, that we will take delight that the favor of God is upon our lives. Whether we're hungry or well-fed, whether we have everything or have nothing, that we'll find contentment in you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. And a special thanks to all those who continue to support our mission through your generosity. You too can support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community by giving on the website or through the app. To make sure you never miss out on a message, be sure to subscribe. And don't forget to hit that share button to spread the word. Have a great week.